0: I always like to think of Christmas as the great mystery. You know, some people think, oh yeah, that sounds great. Other people have no idea what I'm talking about and they just smile at me and just to placate me, so that's kind of cool. When we think about mystery, we tend to think about Agatha Christie and murder mysteries and we try to figure out who, who's done it. If you type mystery into a Google search, you will get 197 million page matches in 0.16 seconds. That to me is a mystery. You get everything from a guy named Eric James Horvat Markovic, who is a Canadian entertainer who goes by the name Mystery. You get Mystery Skateboard Company. The top hit for a non-paid advertiser is the Mystery Method, how to seduce, attract, and put women under your spell. I think the word mystery has lost its meaning, and so much so that the word mystery has actually become a mystery. When I say the mystery of Christmas, it's, it's not about picking up women, though I'm sure there's some dudes who would really like that this year. Uh, it, it's not about getting a skateboard, although I'm sure some people would really like a skateboard. And it's not a murder mystery because we know who did it. The word mystery, it comes from the Greek word mysteria. Now, this was originally a reference to rites performed by pagan cults. They called these secret rites mysteries. These are in reference usually to the goddess Demeter who was the goddess of grain and it took place in a city called Eleusis. According to the Homeric hymn to Demeter which was written in the 7th century B.C., what happens is the goddess Demeter is desperately looking for her daughter Persephone. Persephone has been kidnapped by Aedonius who we later know as Hades. and So she's wandering, she's looking for her daughter and she comes to the city of Eleusis and here she is welcomed in Eleusis by Queen Mantenaria. Queen Mantinaria doesn't know it is Demeter, and she just welcomes her and brings her in. And to thank her, Demeter begins to take care of Prince Demophon, who is the queen's son, when he becomes very sick. And so she would bring him near the fire, and she began to feed him the nectar and ambrosia of the gods. And Demeter started to make the queen's son immortal. And, Demeter, uh, and then one day the queen sees this, and she says, what are you doing to my son? And at that point, Demeter reveals herself. And the queen is amazed and she says, let me build a sanctuary in your honor and then you can teach us all of your secret rites. And so Demeter says, that's great, build a temple. And every year pilgrimages, they get taken from Athens to Eleusis way back in antiquity where these cults would begin to perform these secret rites, these things called mysteries. These rites were kept so secret that even today no one is certain what took place during those rites. Now, when classical Greek Christians came along, they were completely opposed to all such religious secrets. They believed that nothing should be hidden, that everything should be out in the open. And yet, they began to call their own rites mysteries. Because they saw and viewed these rites, communion, baptism, the, with the same exalted awe and reverence that the cults saw of their rites what they did is they took a word that was abused and mistreated and added a deeper, more profound meaning to it. Mystery became the word in the Christian East that those in the Christian West would name sacrament. The words cover more ground, mystery and sacrament, than we give them credit for today. The virgin birth. This is considered mystery and sacrament because it is revealed, it is is known, and yet there is so much more there that is going on a nun or a priest that took their vows was considered sacrament because you heard the vows, you knew them, and yet there is a much deeper connotation going on there. A young couple who gets married and says their vows, it is known as sacrament and mystery because we hear the vows spoken. And yet there is this deep mystery in that this union is not only on earth, but also in heaven. In the Middle Ages, St. Francis of Assisi, He wants to make known that he has decided that he is going to follow Christ. His father wants him to go back to the way he was. And St. Francis says, no, I'm not. And to prove this point, he shows up one day in front of the cathedral, stark naked, and says, I'm leaving everything in my life behind, and I'm going to follow Christ. This is thought of sacrament and mystery. Giotto, a medieval painter, which painted this picture of this event, this painting itself, and the middle Age church was thought of as sacrament and mystery because there's so much more going on. A person giving their life to Jesus is thought of as sacrament and mystery. The way the sun warms your skin after a cold day is thought of as sacrament and mystery. When a newly married couple makes love for the very first time, that is sacrament and mystery. When you come to a Christmas Eve service and you get a little bag that looks like this, and you open it. If you haven't opened it, you can't. Or you can sit there and stare at me and watch me do it. <laughs> and you open this bag. Have you done it? You guys just can't you have no patience, right? You already did this. And you open this up and you pull out a cookie. You take a bite of this cookie. And you go, There's a good cookie. <laughs> The way your taste spreads respond, the way that God made us in this is thought of as sacrament and mystery. How we can take a bunch of ingredients that taste awful on their own, mix them together, and come out with a cookie. That is thought of as sacrament and mystery. Any moment that our hearts are drawn deeper into who Christ is, Is sacrament and mystery because it is known and yet there is so much more there. Which brings us to the mystery of Christmas. Not the date of December 25th as no one believes that was the actual day. As a matter of fact, in the early church, every month was given as conjecture for the birth of Christ except December. This again was an early attempt by the church to reach into culture and give them something they could understand while putting it in the confines of the gospel. So we do. We come and we celebrate Christ. I mean, it's about the remembrance and the joy of His coming. Not so much the date. The celebration of the birth of God's Son. The mystery of how a crying baby echoing in the silence of a cave or a stable could be the voice of God calling to a broken world. The sacrament of how a mother's painful birth, a surrogate father's unsureness in saying, Breathe. And the life that once lived inside a womb now breathes and takes on air and will make the largest impact on a world that has been ravaged by sin. How the light of the world can now be contained in human skin and brings vestiges of hope to those who are lost. It is known. It is known, God in the flesh, but yet it is still a mystery. Ancient writers understood, and I think knew a little bit more about mystery than we do, most writers up until the 19th century, when referring to Christmas, would never divorce Christ's birth from his death and his ultimate resurrection. It was all connected. It's the reason why I, we showed you the video when we started of, you know, Jesus' resurrection all the way to the birth. Because it was always connected. This was promised in the Old Testament by God Himself, who makes this first proclamation. And He makes His proclamation first to the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. Our first parents sin against God and fall. And God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Usually when you see God walking on the earth, most scholars believe it is God the Son, the Word, the Logos, who would become born of a woman. Jesus. Jesus. Again, this is a deep mystery, that the one who was to come just told the serpent and humankind that he was coming. If this is God the Son speaking, this passage takes on a whole new depth, a whole new meaning, a whole new sacrament, a whole new mystery. That the first gospel was preached by Jesus about himself. God the Father makes promises to Abraham throughout Abraham's life that he and his offspring, his seed, will be a blessing to the world. You see this in Genesis twelve seven, thirteen five, twenty four, seven. Paul tells us in Genesis three sixteen the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. God promises Abraham that he will have a son that leads to a son that leads to a son that leads to a son that eventually leads to God's son, Jesus. Mystery. Known. God says it. We know it. And yet so many people missed it. Paul says in Colossians 2.2, 2, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is Jesus, His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, the mystery of Him, and that He made Himself known to us, and yet there is still so much more to know. The mystery that Paul speaks of is something that we all long for, that if God became a man, if He lived an earthly life as we do, if He suckled and sweat and had His diaper changed and grew up and worked and wept and slept and loved and bled and died, but also rose from the dead and returned to the Father, then a way has been made for us to do the same. That Jesus has opened a way for mortal flesh to be redeemed as we are also made in the image of God. After he, he grows into a man and becomes a teacher, a, a rabbi, one of his students in John fourteen eight says this, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And this is Jesus' reply. He says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you, been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The early church came to call this ideal the word icon. Icon. That the face of the Father God that we have seen is his icon. God's veritable image in the flesh is Jesus. Philippians 2, 5-7 reminds us of this. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, his very icon, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So this baby, born to Mary and her husband, that can only cry and suckle and sleep and poop, is the God of all creation, taking on human flesh to redeem the world, to show us how to live in perfect humanity and worship the Father with wholehearted integrity. I mean, do you see the revealing of it all? And yet, the mystery. Thomas Cahill writes this. He says, And what shall we say of this God turned toward us? Only that He is compassionate beyond all imagining, willing to live, suffer, and die for each of us, so compassionate that He excludes no one, not even the most stupid, the most craven, the most outrageous, the most corrupt. God is for us. Now, as I said, the, the birth and death and ultimate resurrection of Christ were always linked. The the Greek and Romans, they had different approaches to this ideal, though. The Greeks tended to always be very heady, very theological. And in the early church, what they understood was what was called the anastasis. This means the resurrection. And they saw this as their supreme feast, which we would call Easter. they said, this is a supreme feast, the resurrection. This should be it. In the Roman church, they were a little more passionate, a little more feeling in this. And they agreed in principle, yes. The, the Easter, the, the supreme feast. Yes, we agree with that. But in practice, they came to prefer Christmas, the feast of his birth, as the supreme celebration. The Roman Christians actually invented Christmas. For the, for the Greeks, the theological ones, the first celebration wasn't the birth that they wanted to celebrate. They actually celebrated Christ's infancy. They celebrated this on January 6th. And it was called the Epiphania, the Epiphany, the, the showing forth. And they had a feast that celebrated Christ's recognition by the Persian wise men. The wise men came and they recognized Jesus as king and God of creation. And they said, yeah. And so they celebrated that and not even the birth. I mean, that takes place at about age two. But the Christmas holiday of Rome, they rolled all of these things into one event to celebrate the showing forth and the birth and the salvation for all people, the mystery of Christ, God in the flesh, all one event. And that's kind of how we celebrate today. By the mid-500s, uh, Tom read this earlier, and I wanted him to read that so you kind of got on in your mind a little bit. There's this eloquent entry into the birth of Jesus. It was the, salvation, the summation of salvation's history. It was Roman, it was written in Latin, and it's meant to be sung with great fanfare. We don't know how the tune goes, but it's meant to be sung with great fanfare. And though the dates are off, You know, it's the deep sense of sacrament and honoring of Jesus' revelation of himself to the world that the author wants us to see. And this is called the 25th day of December. And it goes like this. In the 5,199th year since the creation of the world, while in the beginning God made heaven and earth, the 2,957th year since the flood, the 2,015th year since Abraham, the 1,510th year since Moses and the going forth of the people of Israel from Egypt, Just kind of keeps building on itself. The 1032nd year since David's royal anointing, in the 65th week according to the prophecy of Daniel, in the 194th Olympiad, the 752nd year from the founding of the city of Rome, which was very important to a Roman, the 42nd year of the rule of Octavian Augustus, all the world being at peace, in the sixth age of the world, and then in bold, Jesus Christ. Eternal God and Son of the Eternal Father, desiring to sanctify the world by His most merciful coming, being conceived in the Holy Spirit, and nine months uh, having passed since His conception. In Bethlehem of Judah was born of the Virgin Mary made man, the birthday of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh. And then we as hearers would be like, yeah. And we would respond, He is born. In Bethlehem of Judah was born of the Virgin Mary made man, the birthday of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the flesh. And we respond, He is born. He is born. The Greek words for this are factus homo, made human, made man, the eternal made human in his own mercy. I mean, do you see the mystery within the revelation? It's amazing. These ideas, they they inspired much joy during the Middle Ages. And these led to some of the most wonderful carols, of which we have also lost most of the tunes to. Uh, But we have the words. And I want to show you just one. It's written as if Jesus is singing these words. And it's the night before he comes to be born in the flesh. And it's a song about God's love and excitement for his people. Because God is just as excited for us as we are for Christmas. And this was to be sung on Christmas Eve, the night before his birth. This is how it goes. Tomorrow shall be my dancing day. I would my true love did so chance to see the legend of my play, to call my true love to my dance. Single oh my love, oh my love, my love, my love, this I have done for my true love. This is supposed to call to us in the deepest places of our soul. It goes on and it says, In a manger laid and wrapped I was, so very poor this was my chance, betwixt an ox and a silly poor ass, to call my true love to my dance. Sing, O my love, O my love, my love, my love, this I have done for my true love. He sits in a humble position and he calls us to his dance. And throughout the rest of the text, the dancer goes through all the major events in Christ's life. Once again, the birth, the death, the resurrection, it is all connected. In ancient paintings and stained glass, you will typically see that angels are going to be known by their wings and that saints are known by their halos. And Jesus is known by His blood red robe. His own blood. The last verse of the song is great and beautiful and full of sacrament and mystery. And it says, Then up to heaven I did ascend, where now I dwell in sure substance, on the right hand of God that man may come unto the general dance. Sing, O oh my love, O oh my love, my love, my love, this I have done for my true love. The mystery of Christmas is a love story in which Christ, the lover, seeks out mankind, his beloved, in order to welcome them back to his eternal dance. Paul echoes this in First Timothy three sixteen. He says, Beyond all question, The mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And we say, yes, beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. But this is Christmas. Christ, God, has come into flesh to redeem that which was lost. And our questions is, are you lost tonight? Am I lost? Does your life feel overwhelming? Is hope fleeting? Are you feeling tired, empty, alone? Jesus comes and he invites you to his dance. Do you feel a sense of awe and a sense of wonder of what Christ longs to do in you? What he longs to do in the world? Jesus came to invite you to the dance. And The purpose of Christ's coming was not simply for us to sit in a room on... Christmas Eve and and hand out presents even though cookies are great to spend our money and to go into debt to eat ham and drink lots of eggnog it was to restore our relationship with God and we should have a sense of awe and wonder about the depth and the mystery of what that entails but the revelation is clear that He came for you and I that's the mystery of Christmas why He loves us so much I don't know I don't know why, but he does. And this should be, this could be your dancing day. If you give yourself over to Jesus, the truth and the mystery of Christmas. I was talking to Sean a couple weeks ago, and I was just going to kind of end there, and Sean's like, no, no, we really need to do communion. He goes, because it all comes together. And we're not, we don't serve you communion. You've got to get out of your chair if you want to take Communion. And you go and you, and you break that cracker which is representative of Christ's body which was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine of the grape juice which represents his blood that was shed for us. All so that we could be invited and called back to his dance. That's Christmas. That you and I get to dance with God. With God. Let's pray. Father. Tonight, I ask that we would understand the depth of what you went through to invite us to your dance. And God, that we wouldn't be shy or coy about this dance, but that we would dance. And that the world could see the dance that we have with you and say, I want to dance too. I ask that you teach us how to be your people who live in the revelation of who you are and yet still know that every single day from today forward is a great mystery of where you will take us to, of the heights that you will take us to and the depths that you will see us through. Have us lay ourselves in your hands and understand the deep mystery of Christmas. Amen.